0: Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the Gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. In this series, we're talking about standing and winning in the spiritual war going on all around us. There's an awful lot of talk about how we have authority in the name of Jesus. That's true, but I'm convinced that Scripture is clear that we only have authority in the name of Jesus if we're under the authority of the name of Jesus. So what does that mean? What does it look like for us to win by being under the authority of Christ? Uh, Today is our second message in this series called Stand and Win. We're talking about spiritual warfare. And last week, I kind of did the whole thing of identifying our enemy and talking about the fact that the battle is real. And, um, you know, we kind of started laying the groundwork. If you missed that message, it's really, really foundational to what we're talking about all the way up to the end of the year. So I hope if you haven't listened already, you'll get on our website and you'll maybe listen through that because it was really good to kind of lay the groundwork for what we've, we're we going to be talking about. Um, but, you know, just for a quick, short, little, very abbreviated review, we talked last week about how long before I- any of us, before creation even happened, there was a war that broke out in the heavenly realm. This big war started with the question that Lucifer, the beautiful archangel asked. He asked the question, does God really deserve to be God? Remember, he said stuff like, I will ascend the mountain of God. I will set up my throne on high. He, he was saying, I could make a better God than God. I could be better at being God uh, than God's doing. I can rise up and become God myself. He no longer wanted to operate within the authority of God. He wanted to set up his own kingdom. He no longer wanted to be operating with God's authority in his life. He wanted to be out from under God's authority. And here's the thing that I think is crazy. I don't know if you've really thought about this, but here's the thing I think is crazy. Instead, for whatever reason, instead, of immediately dealing with his enemies by instead of smiting Lucifer and saying, it's over for you, I'm destroying the enemy, and look, I prevail. Instead of that, for whatever reason, God gave Lucifer exactly what he wanted. Gave him exactly what he wanted. He wanted to be out from under God's authority. So God basically said, go then, go. We'll see how that works out for you. We looked at this passage last week from Isaiah 14, how you have fallen from heaven, O shining star. Remember uh, the Hebrew word Hillel, translated as Lucifer from Greek later on. O shining star, son of the morning, you've been thrown down to earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. He got what he wanted. He got out from under the authority of God. Make no mistake, he's still under the authority of God, but he is not operating with God's authority. See, in my mind, I want want Lucifer to immediately be destroyed, but for whatever reason, God didn't do that. We talked a lot more in depth about it last week. He didn't do that. Instead, he just cast Lucifer out. And today, he is operating for his own power. What this means for us, it's first blank on your page if you're following along, is that Lucifer lost his authority, but not his power. He lost his authority, but not his power. Let me try to illustrate that as best as I can for you in a simple little way. The 2023 Corvette Z06 is a $120,000, 670 horsepower, 5.5 liter V8 mid-engine sports car with an eight-speed dual-clutch transmission that redlines at 8,600 RPM. Thank you. It'll do zero to 60 in 2.6 seconds and it'll praise God. (laughs) It'll make you feel close to Jesus real fast. (laughs) And in the process of doing that, it'll pull 1.22 Gs. Dude, that will impress your girlfriend. It's an amazingly high performance, powerful supercar. Imagine owning that car. Imagine that car is your car all of the power that it has, all of the speed and the thrill that it will give you. And it's sitting there in your driveway, but you don't have a driver's license. (laughs) It's crazy, right? It's crazy. The only way you can drive that car is to drive it illegally, right? I mean, you can drive it, but you're breaking the law when you're driving it. And this is what it's like for Satan. He's driving that car, man. He is on the prowl for you and for me. He is full on waging his war against God, this illicit war against God, and he's doing it by illegally attacking you and me. His goal is to kind of build his own kingdom, right? He's been called the the prince of the power of the air and the, the prince of this world. His goal is to build his own kingdom. But remember, remember, Satan can't create anything. He wants to create his own kingdom, but he can't create anything. The one true God is the one true creator. Satan can't create. All he can do is destroy. All he can do is pervert. All he can do is corrupt. All he can do is break things. His argument has never been, Satan's argument has never been that he can create a bigger, better, happier anything. His only argument has been that God can't create anything that Satan can't break. So that's what he does. He uses his power to bring ruin and destruction to you and to me. He takes the beauty, the majesty, the peace, and the unity that God created and he breaks it. That's what he does in your life and in my life. He takes God's image and he distorts it. He breaks it. He makes it into something that it wasn't intended to be. And the results of that, the, the byproduct of that you may have experienced in your life. If you want to recognize in your life where Satan is exerting his power, it's, it's when you recognize the byproducts of his power in your life. So you may have experienced some of this. I made a little list. This is my list off the top of my head. Here's some of the byproducts. Confusion. You ever have confusion in your life? Chaos. You ever have teenagers in your life? <laughs> right, I mean, if you, got, if you got chaos in your life, that's Satan at work. I'm not talking about your kids. <laughs> Maybe. Doubt, discord, division, and isolation. These are some of the, you know, in our lives as Christians, we think that Satan's goals for us are, you know, to get us to do drugs or to have illicit sex or to embezzle money, you know, or to to do something that's really, really bad, murder somebody. But the reality is we experience Satan's power in our lives way more than we care to admit Hello, Thanksgiving weekend coming up. I, I mean, don't, please don't raise your hand and don't answer out loud, but how many of us, this describes our family, right? I mean, it's, it's coming up. You're dreading Thanksgiving dinner because this is the list of what's gonna be around that table, right? Am I right? That's a third of the list. The hecklers are back. Satan produces this in our lives. We've been talking about standing and not falling all year long. And we think just because we're not a mass murderer, we have stood and we haven't fallen. But if you've got this, this is falling in slow motion. It's happening right under our noses. Satan is gaining ground in our lives when these things persist in our lives. And that's just part of the list. And his chief tool, the main tool that he uses against me and against you to produce these results, his main tool is accusation. Right, the scripture says that he is the accuser. Now he does a lot of things, but his favorite thing is to accuse. He wants to make you believe something that's not true. And he accuses you of not being who you think you are. He started out accusing God of being unworthy to be God. He accused Job of being unfaithful to God. He accused Paul of not being a real apostle. He accused Jesus of not really being the son of God. He accuses you in attempt to discredit you before God and in an attempt to get you to doubt that his word is true. He wants to accuse you and make you think that you aren't really who Jesus says you are. And the result is a fall. Doubt, fear, worry, Concern, destruction, disaster. The Greek word that Paul uses for this is the word ruin. It's the Greek word catastrophe. We've looked at that recently before in 2 Timothy, he uses that word for us. He ruins us with his words. It leads to catastrophe in our lives. The English word is the same exact word, but with a C on the front of it. All of us are far, far, far more susceptible to the power of Satan than we like to admit when we won't kiss and make up. When we believe that they've done me wrong, so they deserve. When we think we gotta get the last word. When we hoard instead of give. when we're selfish instead of being selfless. Time and time again, Satan gets his power in our lives and he pulls us out from under the authority of God. Little by little, piece by piece, with one emotion after one instance, after another occurrence, he just pulls us out a little bit at a time out from under God's authority. That's his goal for you his goal for you isn't that you're gonna bow and devil worship. His goal is just to get you out from under God's authority. That's where he wants you because if he can get you out from under his authority, in his mind, it just undermines and discredits his real opponent, God. So that's his goal for you. He accuses you to pull you out from the authority of God. God. But Romans 8 has a good word for me and for you, believer. Here's what it says, Romans 8. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Yeah. Joyce, would you just leave this one up for just a minute for me? You just just leave it there for just a second. I, I love this, by the way. I'm gonna start at the end of this passage because I know I know when when you got sickness in your life or you got a family member who's struggling with something, or you got something going on, you, you really love for the pastor to pray for you and I do I want to pray for you all the time but isn't it good to know that no matter what's going on in your life that Jesus is sitting at the place of honor right next to his father and what he's doing is pleading for us he's praying for us he's praying for you right now all the time so how can how can the enemy accuse you if you got Jesus pleading for you How can the enemy condemn you when Jesus himself is praying for you? Oh, I know, I know what it's like to feel condemnation. I've been there, I know you've been there because I've been under condemnation. I've been condemned, I was condemned. You know, we looked at it last week, I was dead in my own sin, right? I was separated from God and spiritually dead. And the scripture is really clear that by my very existence, I was an object of God's wrath. Just the fact that I existed made God angry because I was such a broken creature. He had designed me to be beautifully in His image, but I was broken and an enemy of God, a traitor against Him, and His wrath was coming for me. But God loved me so much, just like He loves you, loves us so much that He sent His Son, Jesus, Jesus, who was perfectly right with his Father, perfectly in line with God's authority. He came here to this world and he goes to the cross, and on the cross, God takes all of my sin and puts it onto Jesus, blames Jesus for what I had done, and he punished Jesus in my place. Jesus took the wrath of God on my behalf. All of God's anger at all of my sin is totally exhausted into Jesus. He dies in my place. And three days later, sin paid for, he raises from the grave and he lives today in me and in you. When you accept that gift of his forgiveness and grace and he comes into your life, he begins to change you and to make you new. So I know what it's like to be under condemnation, but now, now who will condemn us? Who will accuse us? Because Jesus has already done everything that is needed to bring us from death to life. Can I get an amen on that? Mm. So John writes to his people and he says, my dear children, I'm writing to you so that you will not sin, so that you will not step out from under the authority of God so that you will stay where you belong. I'm writing this to you so that you will remain in the authority of God. Don't step out, don't get out of it for a minute. But he says if anyone does sin, if anyone does step out from the authority of God, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He's not just praying for us. He is advocating for us. This word advocate is like a lawyer who is pleading our legal case before the judge. He is actually arguing our legal standing before God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He's pleading our case. So what I'm trying to say is that you and I, you and I, we don't, we don't want to be under God's authority, but we need to be under God's authority. I say we don't want to be because, honestly, your sinful nature and my sinful nature, it, it's a sinful nature. That means you sin because it comes to you naturally. What this means is that your flesh loves sin. It doesn't love God, it loves sin. It wants to sin, it gravitates to sin. It's pulled out of the authority of God all the time. It wants you out from under the authority of God. So we don't wanna be under the authority of God, but we need to be under the authority of God. We need to have his protection on us. You saw the list. You saw the list of the things that Satan's producing in our lives, but we need the opposite of those things. John writes to his people, the people who live out, he writes about people who live outside the authority. People who were once kind of part of the church, but then they kind of left. Some false teachers had come through and led them astray and they were loving the kingdom of Satan more than they love the kingdom of God. They love the darkness more than they love the light. And he says to his people, he says, but you are not like that. For the Holy One has given you his spirit And all of you know the truth. So I'm writing to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. I'm writing to you because you know the difference between truth and lies. I think this is our problem today, is that we have forgotten how to discern truth from lie. And I think in the American church, we've gotten all caught up in everything from psychotherapy self-help to wokeism, and I think that we've gotten all caught up in coming to church getting your hair stroked and going away feeling better about ourselves yeah that's right glad somebody's with me so I think we're we're bad at this now I think we're all really bad at this the media speaks loudly into our hearts am I right The movies we watch, the shows we binge, the culture that we're surrounded by, it's all speaking into us and boy does it speak loudly. No wonder that Satan is called the prince of the power of the air because it all transmits through the air to us. He seems to really have control over all of that, and we've gotten off. We've gotten to where we can't discern truth from lie anymore. So in a couple of weeks in this series, I think it's two or maybe three weeks from now, I'm not sure when, I'm going to be talking about as you wage this war, you got to wear the spiritual armor. We're going to be talking about putting on the armor, and the primary piece that the Scripture gives us is the belt of truth and I don't think it's any coincidence that that's the first one the primary one because I think that you can wear all the armor and you can you can even learn how to use it but it's good for nothing if you're not standing in truth. And so I really hope that a couple of weeks from now when we're talking about this, you're gonna be part of this because honestly, 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 a lot of us think that we're fighting and winning, but we're really losing and Satan's laughing. That's what I think is really, really going on for a lot of us because we can't discern truth from lie. John says you're not like this. Learn the difference between truth and lies. The truth is that you were bought with a high price price. Your salvation wasn't free. It was free to you, but dude, it cost Jesus everything. You were bought with a high price. You were sealed until that day by the blood of Jesus. And now you belong in the authority of the kingdom of God. And you warrior can speak with authority when you speak in the name of Jesus. Now you wage war in this world, not against flesh and blood, but against those spiritual powers, and you experience victory when you are operating in the authority of God in the name of Jesus. Right? That's, that's who you are now. That's the truth of who you are. But a lot of us have become very weakened and we don't experience this authority. When we are operating in his authority, when we're speaking the name of Jesus, we'll, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about the kind of spiritual warfare where you rebuke demons, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about spiritual warfare where you're casting out and binding, right, and releasing. We'll talk about that later in this series. But, but Thanksgiving is this weekend So how do you wage spiritual war against a crazy, dysfunctional family? I I would encourage you not to stand up at the head of the table and start casting out demons from family members over Turkey. But when you're speaking the authority of God with the name of Jesus, the things that you are speaking into your family into your neighbors into your coworkers are things like power healing you're speaking peace blessed are the peacemakers you're speaking love grace and unity you see normally when somebody stands up on a stage and talks about spiritual warfare they talk about you know commanding the powers of the evil world in the name of Jesus and we do that but they forget it seems like they always forget to talk about this is what it produces these are the things that we're striving for godly power godly healing godly peace godly love grace And unity. We're speaking these things. We're striving for these things in our families, in our coworkers, in every area that we find ourselves in. This is this is how we start. I don't want to hear you talking about being all casting out demons until you're producing this. Because I'm not sure about that if I don't see this. Because remember the great goal here. The great goal here is is not necessarily to have a big battle and a big victory party afterwards. I hope we have big victories and big victory parties. But the big goal here is God's goal, right? It tells us in Ephesians what the goal is. It's the plan for all this. At the right time, here it is, at the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth, right? And so when you are speaking into your crazy family this weekend, you're speaking peace, love, unity, grace, because when you're doing that, When you're engaging in real spiritual warfare, you're contributing to this great goal. This is what we are doing. He has enlisted you into his army so that this will happen. His goal in redeeming you is that you were one more step in his ultimate goal of redeeming the whole world back to himself. And now you're his mouthpiece. Now you're his hands and his feet everywhere you go. Bringing it all under the authority of Christ, under the name of Jesus. Philippians 2 says that God elevated him, Jesus, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Some knees shall bow. Just the Christians will bow. Oh, wait, just the Baptists will bow. (laughs) No, look at this. Every, every, every knee should bow. Okay, what knees? The knees in heaven, the knees on earth, and the knees under the earth. I think that's covering them all. At the name of Jesus, every spiritual and every physical knee will bow and every tongue will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what where this is all going and you have a part in it. i preached a message about that. I called it out to you last week, but man, that message is really good. It's on the QR code that's on your page. Uh, I hope that you'll go back and listen to that one too, because it really gives you the overview on why God created everything and where it's all going. So the goal here is to get under the authority of God, to get you under the authority of God. How do we do that? How do we get? Under the authority of God, so I got I got three things that I wrote down that I hope will help you. Okay, these are three things that apply to all of us. Okay, so I don't care if uh, you're a brand new baby Christian and you got saved ten minutes ago, or if you're like me and you've been a Christian for decades now. These three things apply to all of us. There are blanks on your page. I hope you're going to write them down because this should be the practice of your life. Get under God's authority. The first step is to repent. The first step is to repent. Now I know, I know, when you grew up in church, you were taught that here's what happens, you're a lost person, you know, you're over here, you don't have a relationship with God, you're separated from God, you're under His judgment, so you have to get to your knees, and you repent of your sins, I'm never gonna sin again, Lord, and then we all know what happened 10 minutes later, right? And now it's a year later, and six years later, and 20 years later, and you you know, you're like, well, I repent, I did repent, so I'm good, I'm, I'm clean and I'm covered. And I just wanna, I wanna be clear. All of your sins, past, present and future have been dealt with by Jesus on the cross and they have been wiped off of your ledger. They are no longer seen by God. But you and I both know what it's like to have that relationship with God and then to step back and start building walls. That's what sin does because even though you're forgiven, you still build those walls. Some are short, some are tall, but you're building, every time you're sin, you're building walls between you and Him. Repentance is how we break down those walls and say, I'm not doing that, I'm not going that direction anymore, I'm coming back home to you. I I know for a lot of us, repentance is something you did and then you're done, but the reality is, we preach it differently here at this church because we preach it a lot more like the New Testament preaches it. We believe that repentance is actually the lifestyle of the believer. That's what we do, we stop and we say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. You're right, I'm wrong. And it's not just saying it, it's turning. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. All right, it means that you turn from your old and you turn to his new. When Paul was getting ready to pay his third visit to the church at Corinth, it, he was hoping for a pleasant visit. Because you know Corinth, Corinth, right? You know about that church. They're not really that altogether great of a church. In fact, they were kind of sin church. Everybody knew that the church at Corinth was—they had some sexual sin and a, a bunch of other kinds of sin in their church, and everybody knew it. Turn up your old sins. You say that you're Christians. You say that you're church people, but something's wrong here. You have not repented of your impurity, your sexual immorality, and your eagerness for lustful pleasure. You won't stop with the porn. You won't stop dabbling in all the things that are bad for you. In fact, you're eager for it. Something's wrong here. And he's telling them, he's saying, get it right before I get there. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 13, 7, he says, do the right thing before I come. I know you say you're a believer, but you're operating outside the authority of Christ. Get back to where you belong. That's a Beatles song, by the way. (laughs) Get back to where you belong. Get back under the authority of Christ. Repent, repent, and step back under His authority. So step one is to repent. The second thing in getting under God's authority is to pray, is to pray. I shouldn't have to stand here and tell you to pray, but prayer uh, is the real deal. In fact, we're gonna have a whole message coming up uh, in this series about how prayer is your number one tactic in spiritual warfare. So we will be talking in depth about prayer, but I just wanna be really clear. Um, Most of us are doing it wrong. I mean, I'm the pastor and, you know, there's always that moment in the meeting or whatever, some gathering we got. And I'm like, all right, let's pray together. Who's gonna pray? And, and okay, you, let's, uh, all right, let's pray. And then what happens is, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day. That's how all prayers are required to start. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day. It may be a hurricane outside. Thank you for this beautiful day. I used to call that God's phone number. You knew that they were dialing God when they said, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Right? It's just like the way they all start. And then as soon as they have the perfunctory little greeting to God, then they go straight into, well, I need this fixed, I need that fixed. This is a problem and that sickness. And, and we give God our list and then, you know, we conclude with the hangup tone, which is we always say, in Jesus' name. <laughs> that's, the, that's how you prepare everyone to know that you're about done. Now, I believe in praying in Jesus' name. We all pray in Jesus' name, but, but we've gotten to where we just kind of tack it on at the end. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of us are doing it wrong. I'm not too really that concerned about the phone number. And I'm not too really that concerned about the hang up. I'm concerned about that big middle part because most of us just treat God, frankly, like he's a vending machine. Give me what I want. Just, just dispense the blessings I'm looking for. I need this one, this one, this one, this one. Okay, we good? All right, Amen. And that's not really what Prayer is. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, it doesn't start out with, Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. You know how he starts out. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, Jesus is showing us something. It starts off with praising him. It starts off with realigning our heart off of the things that we need to who He is. And then from there, it goes to your will be done in heaven. Okay, so it realigns our heart from our will to His will. So we focus on who He is and then what He wants. What serves His kingdom the best. We are all caught up in gimme, 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 and Jesus is showing us this isn't, prayer's not about giving God your Santa list. Huh, so we can pray, tell God what we need, we can thank him for all he's done, and then he will answer every prayer under the Christmas tree. Is that what it says? Oh, then you will experience what he really has to give. Maybe it's not about all the things you want. Maybe this is really the goal. Okay, first thing is to uh, repent. The second thing is to pray. The third thing, to get under God's authority, is to obey. We don't like that word anymore. But you're a soldier under authority. That means you do what you are told. Hello? I mean, that's what it means. If you say Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but then you live like hell all week long, that just makes you a liar. Jesus says the same thing in Luke 6. Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Who even are you? You say I'm the Lord, but you don't even know what, you don't even know what I'm telling you to do. He says in John 14, if you love me, obey my commandments. I love this. You know, the Pharisees tried to demonstrate their love for God by obeying over 600 commandments that they had found in the Old Testament. Boy, their lives were nothing but just busy trying to prove what commands they had to keep and what commands they could let go. That's all they did all their lives. Oh, their lives were a mess. But Jesus makes his commandments really simple for us he's distilled it all down into you know two things the great commandment and the great commission here it is if you love him love him love God love others and make disciples we call these the great commandment and the great commission this is the command that Jesus has given to every soldier that's me and you. A lot of us wanna learn about spiritual warfare because we wanna have victory against against the demonic activity in our lives. But I got news for you. I want you to fight and I want you to win, but if I'm not seeing this, dude, it ain't happening. Scripture says to test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Here are the steps from your authority. So Thanksgiving ought to be really interesting this year. And dude, if you aren't aren't serving on a team, if you aren't making disciples somehow, I mean, we make it really easy to do that here at the Orchard. We've opened up ways for you to do that so that you can can start where you are. This is where it starts. If you aren't doing this, you aren't operating in the authority of Jesus. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. 1 John 3 it says those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them and we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us but the bottom line is this and it's the last blank on your page we win because of Christ's authority you don't have the authority to win Jesus does and you have access to his authority as you walk in it so walk in his authority